welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. And hello to you, and thank you so much for coming to join me on this Fender Bender Friday edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I'm always, 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 always going to remind you to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Yes, that's right. This is not just about in things in which you may become entangled with the law. This is in your daily life, your dealings with your spouse, your child, your boss, the person in front of you at Starbucks, and anybody and everybody else that you come into contact with, and even doing the things that you do in solitude. I want for you only the wonderful things in life, so please avoid those downs and enjoy and rejoice and savor the ups. My name is Paul Samico. I'm an attorney, and I am the host of The Legal Merry-Go-Round, and I invite you to always have the opportunity uh, to go to my website, The Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can download free reports and you can listen to any and all of these podcast shows, where you can also listen to them on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple and iHeartMedia and any place else that you might listen to podcasts. I want to thank, before I get started today, my very first sponsor, a group, uh, a a website uh, owned by a woman by the name of Beverly Myers, LegalWritingLaunch.com, LegalWritingLaunch.com. And what is this all about? Well, Miss Myers is a professor at a, a law school out in California. She used to work at the California Attorney General's office. Uh, and she has created a legal writing program that is really designed primarily for law students and lawyers, people working in a law firm, but anybody can benefit from taking her classes. She has three of them, three different levels, and you can improve your clarity of thought. You can improve the conciseness upon which you write These are admirable traits in order to be able to communicate effectively. So I want you to go to her website, legalwritinglaunch.com, and register for one of her classes, read all about what these courses are about, and by the way, put in uh, in the coupon area, the legal merry-go-round, and you'll get 10% off. Thank you, Ms. Myers. I uh, am a big fan of what you're doing legalwritinglaunch.com. So today I am going to talk about uh, injury cases, but not necessarily physical injury, uh, a violation of constitutional rights type of injury in what is in a very unfortunate situation called strip search. Yes, strip searching. It's a practice of searching a person for weapons or other contraband suspected of being hidden on the body or inside the clothing, and it's not found 
by performing a frisk search, but by requiring the person to remove some or all of their clothing. The search might involve an official performing an intimate person search and inspecting their personal effects and body cavities. A strip search is more intrusive, clearly, than a frisk and requires legal authority. Regulations covering strip searches vary considerably from state to state and in some cases may be mandatory in some situations and discretionary in others. So this is connected to criminal or potential criminal activity, but where officials cross the line, they can be sued for a violation of your rights if this were to happen to you. And I'm going to share with you in the second half of this show some of the monetary amounts that people have sued for and successfully won and collected because of that very violation of their rights. But now I want to go through and just give you a little background and bring you up to speed in the first half as to you know, what the basis and the foundation for all of this is. So in North America, civil lawsuits, uh, as well as criminal code charges against strip searches, uh, have usually been successful when a person is strip searched by someone of the opposite sex, uh, especially in cases where a woman has been strip searched by a male guard or guards. The more disputed legal cases have often involved the presence of people of the other gender during a strip search. Now, some of these cases have been less successful because of the legal technicality of who was actually performing the strip search. As an example, if more than one guard is present, the search is often legally said to be performed by the person or persons giving the order or instructions to the person or people being searched. Another legal issue is that of blanket strip searches, such as in jails where detainees are routinely strip searched prior to conviction of a crime. Courts have often held that blanket strip searches are acceptable only for convicted persons. For detainees pending trial, there must be a reasonable suspicion that the detainee is in possession of weapons or other contraband before a strip search can be conducted. The same often uh, holds true for other situations such as airport security personnel and customs officers, but the dispute often hinges on what constitutes reasonable suspicion. Now, there's a category called incidental strip searches that I want to talk about. In order to bypass the legal reasonable suspicion requirement, and because strip searches can be humiliating, obviously, the search is often made less overt as part of an intake process that includes a mandatory shower. For example, most prisons also include a mandatory shower along with a change of clothes. The shower serves to make the strip search less blatant, as well as proving or providing, I should say, uh, the additional benefit of removing contamination in addition to removing weapons and other contraband. Many shelters require new arrivals to hand over all their clothing for a wash, as well as requiring them to have a shower. These rules also enable a discreet check for weapons or other contraband with less legal implications 
being less objectionable because the requirement is applied to everyone entering a facility. It's less offensive to clients uh, than requiring them to undergo an overt strip search. Now, security procedures at facilities that mine and process gold, silver, copper, and other high-value minerals may constitute an incidental strip search. Isn't that interesting? At the end of the workday, miners must remove all work clothes before entering a shower facility and then exit nude through a metal detector to a separate changing room where street clothes are stored. The courts have often held that requiring a person to have a shower as a condition of entry into a space such as a prison, shelter, or the like does not in itself constitute a strip search, even if the shower and surrounding space are so constructed as to afford visibility of the unclothed body by guards during the showering process. <laughs> Dig that, okay? You got the, uh, the, the, the gallery watching. That, that offends me. Hospitals also have a mandatory shower during lockdown when mask decontamination is called for. The, um, that process, uh, as well as searching for clues among the clothes of persons found at a terrorist attack crime scene, where it's recognized that the perpetrators could be among the persons detained for decontamination. Involving children, this... Uh, uh, this is a statistic that I found in researching for this show today. In 2014, it was reported that more than 4,600 children had been strip searched by metropolitan police in the preceding five years across the country, with the youngest child being 10 years old. This was out of a total of 134,000 strip searched. A charity described the number of younger children searched in this way as being disturbing. Yeah, I guess so. Procedures for strip search. Partial strip searches are common at airports for airport security, which often consists of removal of shoes and sometimes socks, removal of coat and jacket, removal of belt, untucking of the shirt. If there's reason to suspect hidden objects, the person is then taken to a private room, which consists of removal of shirt, removal of trousers, and it can even involve removal of underwear and a bra for women. So we get to ultimately, you know, the question here, are strip searches legal? Now, the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution says that a person has a right to be free from unreasonable searches. But the laws specifically governing strip searches are somewhat vague across the country and may vary, of course, from state to state. In general, a strip search is usually considered to be unlawful when any of the following events occur. The police perform a strip search without having reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. When a search is conducted by a law enforcement officer, of the opposite sex. The search is carried out in the presence of other persons, not police officers, of the opposite sex. If the search is done in a manner that exposes the person's body to the public, and when a search is administered in a way that it's degrading, insulting, offensive, or overly intrusive. Strip searches. 
Well, if you're a victim of a strip search, you have the potential of filing a lawsuit for violation of your constitutional rights and the money that might be available for you if you win, while it certainly is not going to make up for the embarrassment and the humiliation, can be substantial. Stick around. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come back and go through some cases, including what is might be referred to as the seminal case, which identifies what the actual law is across this great country of ours. I'll be back. Swimming, anybody? In 1999, Daniel Dukes tragically died while trying to achieve his lifelong dream of swimming with a whale. So he hides himself in SeaWorld uh, away from security guards uh, when they leave, and then he gets in the water and he's killed by an orca whale when the park closes. Daniel's parents file a multi-million dollar lawsuit against SeaWorld for failure to display public signs warning of the dangers which whales can cause to humans. The suit was quietly dropped later with no explanation for the family's change of heart. Um, gee, I uh, wonder what would happen if you tried to get into the water and kiss an electric eel. Uh, some people. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Okie dokie, we are back, and I do thank you for your ear. And again, I remind you that if you're interested in legal writing or just simply clarity of thought, the class that Bev Myers teaches you with her class Legal Writing Launch would be excellent. Thank you, Bev, for sponsoring us. Please go to legalwritinglaunch.com, put in the legal merry-go-round in the coupon code, and you'll get 10% off of her class. 
We're talking about strip searches. Yes, strip searches, very embarrassing, very humiliating, and certainly in my mind, very inappropriate in many, 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 many cases. Courts have agreed. They've raised concerns over whether a strip search can be used against persons who have not yet been charged with a crime. Many places have ruled that it's inappropriate to strip search an individual if they have not been lawfully arrested. The guideline is especially true if the strip search is unrelated to the type of criminal activity involved. For example, it's usually inappropriate for the police to perform a strip search on someone when ticketing them for a simple traffic violation. So I promised you in the first half that I was going to go through some cases and I want to do that. I want to lead up to 2012, which is what is the, if you will, the seminal case, the state of the law in the United States right now. But I want to go through a couple of cases. In 2005, um, the Beard versus Whitmore Lake School District uh, case arose in Michigan when a student reported that $364 had been stolen from her gym bag during a phys ed class. In response to the alleged theft, teachers searched the entire class of 20 boys and five girls in their respective locker rooms. <laughs> Talk about outrageous. Boys were required to undress down to their underwear, and girls were required to do so um, in front of each other. The alleged theft was reported to the local police, who sent an officer, and he had got there midway through the search. Based on the court records, the officer encouraged school personnel to continue the search. At the conclusion of the search, no money was found. So a lawsuit was filed by the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan on behalf of the kids uh, that were impacted by the search, claiming their Fourth Amendment rights had been violated against unreasonable search and seizure, and their 14th Amendment rights in violation of an equal protection violation. The case ultimately was decided by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. They focused on several factors that made the strip search unreasonable. First, the recovery of money was the primary basis for conducting the search, which didn't, uh, which, which which was not, uh, did not, in the court's opinion, pose a health or a safety threat. Uh, of course. Second, the search did not involve one or more students, but rather a large number of students who didn't consent to the search. Third, the school personnel had no reason to suspect any of the students individually. The court emphasized in its uh, findings that school leaders have a real interest in maintaining an atmosphere free of theft, but a search undertaken to find money serves a less weighty governmental interest than a search undertaken for items that pose a threat to the health and safety of students. Right. So if they're talking about, you know, some student having some noxious chemical, that's a different story. Based on the court's position, clearly a search to recover money will not meet the court's expectation regarding the standards associated with a strip search. The kids win the case. Now, I found two cases right kind of here in my backyard in Baltimore, Maryland. There was a case in 2009 a Navy veteran settled with the Baltimore City Police Department for $200,000 after being strip-searched by officers during daylight in front of a neighborhood crowd. Can you believe that? So this guy, Mr. Darrell Martin, a Navy veteran, was driving his car a few blocks northeast 
of John Hopkins Hospital. He and a friend were on their way to a tailor when they were pulled over for a traffic stop by police. Plaintiff and his friend were ordered out of the vehicle at gunpoint and their car was searched. According to the plaintiff, one of the officers then performed an anal cavity search in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses. The gentleman alleged that the police had no reason to search his vehicle, of course, or perform an anal cavity search, particularly in front of a crowd. So the, um, the case went to trial, and he ended up winning $200,000 as a settlement right before the jury came back. Next, again in Baltimore, uh, this is a case involving two sisters civil rights violations stemming from an allegedly illegal strip search by Baltimore City Police resulted in a total of a $123,000 verdict, which included punitive damages against one of the police officers. Um, The plaintiff's sisters, Shakita and Janelle, uh, on the January night in question, were patronizing a bar in an area called Brooklyn in Baltimore. Defendant uh, Adkins, a police officer, was in the bar looking for illegal drug sales or prostitutes. Reportedly, there had been prior run-ins between these sisters and Adkins. Adkins, a cop, handcuffed both women and called for the assistance of a female officer. The female officer took Shakita to the women's restroom, where she was searched down to bare skin while Adkins allegedly watched. Nothing was found, and Shakita was led back to the bar. Janelle, with her arms handcuffed behind her back, was then taken to be searched in the bathroom. The female officers pulled down her underpants and said uh, she saw something. Three male officers then tackled her. During the altercation, one of the officers allegedly inserted ungloved fingers into her private area, and retrieved baggies of cocaine and marijuana. Now, I stop here because the case report doesn't indicate whether these were planted or not. But so you know right away, uh, she was not convicted in any sense for possession of these drugs. Shakita testified that Janelle's lip was split following this incident, and she also developed bruises on her upper and lower body. The cops arrested the plaintiff and alleged that the women had been observed selling drugs out of the back of the bar. However, surveillance video did not support these claims, and all criminal charges were dropped. So the sisters filed a lawsuit for violation of their constitutional rights against the illegal search and seizure. Plaintiffs claimed that the cops had no probable cause to search them, and the searches were conducted illegally and against police policies and procedures. They also claimed excessive force was used, and they further alleged false imprisonment, malicious prosecution, fabrication, and assault and battery. Well, okay, so this Shakita, 22-year-old young lady, her sister Janelle, 25 years old, uh, were owners actually, just so you have a little bit more flavor here, they owned a store, retail store, Jury took three days to uh, deliver its verdict, and the total was $123,000, 
$90,000 for plaintiff Janelle, 60,000 of which was punitive, and 30,000 in compensatory damages, and 33,000 for Shakita, which also included compensatory and punitive damages. So we go from Baltimore now uh, to an Iowa court in 2011, uh, moving on, getting close to this 2012 big Supreme Court case, which is the law of the land, if you will. 2011, Iowa Federal District Court granted a motion for a new trial after a jury awarded $259,000 to a woman who was improperly strip searched when she was arrested and booked into jail. Before another trial was held, this 2012 big case that I'm telling you about in just a moment, ruling changed the law regarding strip searches for jail detainees. So this Iowa case settled in February of 2013 for more than the jury awarded. It settled for $385,000. Again, the jury gave her two fifty nine. dollars 259,000, so uh, approximately 120,000 more. The plaintiff, Maureen Rattray, was arrested in Sioux City, Iowa for operating a vehicle while intoxicated, her first offense. She was taken to the Woodbury County Jail. During the booking, two female jailers strip-searched her twice and conducted body cavity searches. The first search took place in a room with an open door, so men standing outside were able to look in. Retre began to cry, and one of the jailers mocked her and then ripped off her halter top. Because she was confused about whether or not she was wearing a tampon, one of the jailers allegedly shoved her against a wall and performed a cavity search of her private area. Retray was then forced to walk unclothed down a hallway to the last cell, passing men who looked at her while she attempted to cover her private areas with a jail-issued jumpsuit that guards had not allowed her to put on. Once in the cell, she was placed on a bed, and a jailer put a knee on her back while performing a second cavity search of her private areas, during which she cried and screamed. Only after that was she allowed to dress. The strip and body cavity searches were performed, according to police, uh, according to the jailers, I should say, uh, in, in accordance with jail policy, which prohibited such searches for person arrested for simple misdemeanors and scheduled violations if there was no probable cause to believe they were concealing a weapon or contraband, but required searches for persons arrested for any other offense, which apparently in that uh, hierarchy of description of offenses included the drunk driving. Okay, again, $385,000 settlement. All right, well, let's get to this big case I've been telling you about. This was decided uh, by the Supreme Court ultimately in a very divided ruling five to four in favor of the final ruling. The case is called Florence versus versus Burlington. And the court ruled that any person arrested can be subject to a strip search, even for a minor offense or traffic violation, without any reason to suspect that they may be carrying a weapon 
or contraband. Are you are are you are you hearing that? Does that like just blow your mind? Does that just get your your skin boiling? I'm going to read it again. Any person can be subject to a strip search even for a minor offense or traffic violation without any reason to suspect that they be may be carrying a weapon or contraband. This just infuriates a living bejeebies out of me, but this is the law right now in the United States. So here's the facts of this case. Albert Florence, a 35-year-old black man, erroneously was arrested in 2005 for failing to pay a traffic fine that he had already paid. This happened in New Jersey. A state's trooper pulled over Florence's pregnant wife as she was driving him and their four-year-old son to dinner to celebrate their purchase of a home. Because Florence owned the vehicle, the officer ran his license and discovered a warrant for an outstanding non-criminal traffic fine. Despite the fact that Florence had already paid the fine and carried an official letter proving it, the police handcuffed and arrested him and dragged him off to jail. He was incarcerated for six days and subjected to two invasive strip searches. On the seventh day, a judge freed him, confirming that he had in fact paid his fine. Now, the court held that the two New Jersey County jails had not violated the Fourth Amendment by routinely strip searching all new detainees, including those like Albert Florence. So I talk about the two New Jersey County jails the Supreme Court had one other case from New Jersey that it was deciding at the same time they decided this case for Mr. Florence. They decided again that by routinely strip searching all new detainees who had been arrested for minor offenses and were unlikely to spend more than one night in jail, that it was acceptable. But here's the outrageous part. I mean, just I just want to scream at least 10 states already prohibited at that point routine strip searches without reasonable suspicions, including New Jersey. Oh my gosh. Okay. I mean, just let that, let that swim around in your head. Here's a state that prohibited strip searches without reasonable suspicions. One of their cops does a strip search without reasonable suspicion. And ultimately, our Supreme Court back in 2012 says, oh, okay, no problem. The court, Supreme Court, authorized jail officials to visually strip search all individuals who are going to be placed in what is called general population. There were notes, as there always are, about Supreme Court decisions. The notes said that jails could should consider, based upon the concurring opinions in this case, the five concurring judges, whether minor offenders can be held separately in the short term until their release, such that a strip search is unnecessary. Based on the concurrence, if a jail holds all pretrial detainees separately and there's no intermingling, The rule announced in this case may not apply. Well, okay, great. Thanks, justices of the Supreme Court in 2012. 
he gave us a little bone there and suggested that it might not be necessary. All right, well, what's the, uh, what's the takeaway from this? You can be strip searched, but if the circumstances are such that it is unreasonable and outrageous, in my view, that does absolutely not prevent you filing a civil lawsuit for damages. Now, because I'm here trying to do good, I want to just share before I close one last thing. There are scams, believe it or not. Well, you believe that, of course. We see them every day. You know, would you like to buy some uh, some real estate? I got some nice swamp land for you. Or the Nigerian scams, we're all familiar with those. But there is something called a strip search scam. They have become increasingly common over the past decade. A strip search scam is a scenario where a person commits a crime of fraud by posing as a law enforcement officer, a police officer. They'll then stage a fake stop or arrest of you and subject you to a strip search. In the past, this type of fraudulent scheme has been taken advantage of by seriously corrupt individuals, some of whom are sex offenders. Therefore, if law enforcement is requesting that a person submit to a strip search where something about the situation seems reasonably wrong, that person, you, if that happens to you, you might want to ask the officer to verify that they're actually a legitimate police officer before you perform the search. Uh, example, may I please see your badge? To lighten such a tough situation further, you might also want to express your concern over such strip search scams. Tell them, hey, I've heard these kind of things could, could be scams. And you might also want to request that another police officer be present during the search if possible. A good indication of when something about the situation may be off is if the strip search is performed in a secluded area with no witnesses or other law enforcement personnel present. This could potentially be a sign that the search being done is not lawful and is in fact the result of such a scam. Goodness gracious, I hope something like that never, ever, ever happens to you. So uh, what is it that uh, a lot of these law shows uh, say, these TV court shows say to you? Be careful out there. Thank you for listening to this Fender Bender Friday edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and you'll join us again on Monday for the edition of Marital Mondays where I'm going to talk about some interesting stuff concerning uh, the relationship and the potential breakdown of the family unit. Again, thank you for your ear. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.